And uh, some of these chapters kind of summarize certain aspects of David's kingship. Um, in this case, I think some aspects that are important for the building of the temple. We will see that eventually, the link between these chapters, I think, and the building of the temple. Um, but would uh, somebody read uh, in chapter 18, verses 1 to 13? Okay, um, notice verse 10 of 17, 17, in the promise to David, he said that I will subdue all your enemies, and you are seeing this happening here as he's subduing his enemies. In verse 1 of chapter 18, David defeats who? The Philistines, and uh, it's interesting, I don't know if you've noticed this already, but there were several uh, Gittites. In David's army, people from Gath, maybe subduing the Philistines, he actually was able to conscript some Philistine soldiers. And then in verse 2, who does he defeat? Moab. Now, basically, Philistia, as we said, was which direction from Israel? West. We'll say west for now, southwest, but west. And Moab was which direction? East, and then in 3 through 6, David is striking against what general area? The northern area, what we would call Syria or Aram. He uh, is able to establish his rule to what landmark? Euphrates River, which is what we'd said earlier, that David's uh, control extended clear all the way up to the Euphrates on the north. And so a huge territory from which he receives tributes, 
He puts garrisons in Damascus, and, and uh, he gets tribute from all these different peoples. Notice the end of verse 6. You see why David gained these great victories? Because the Lord helped him wherever he went. Now, all the, all the stuff he got, all the silver and the gold, the tribute and so forth, what ends up becoming of much of that stuff? It goes into the temple, exactly. That's one connection you can see between these victories and the overarching theme of First Chronicles that involves the preparations for the building of the temple. David collects up stuff that is used by Solomon in the preparation of the temple, of the utensils and, and furnishings and so forth of the temple. And uh, so, so David gains a, a, a very great amount of, uh, of wealth in that way. In verses 12 and 13, David defeats what nation? The Edomites, which are more toward the, almost the south, the southeast. Uh, so you've got the west, the east, the north, and the south, more or less, if you want to uh, make it that way. And uh, again, the end of verse 13 emphasizes that the Lord uh, helped David. Now, we're going to contrast that in the next chapter with the Arameans, uh, and the Ammonites and the kind of help that they were. But the Lord was very helpful to, to David and gave him the victory in all these areas. Um, comments and questions? That includes the area that says we're paying tribute. You wouldn't necessarily consider them Israel proper. Exactly. It's kind of, I don't know. I mean, they were uh, countries that had to pay tribute. So they were, they were subject nations, kind of like vassal nations, but they, they didn't take away their self-government. I mean, you know, David did not try to administer all of the, the government in these nations, but he did receive tribute from them. Other questions and comments? Yes, I think so. I don't think Abishai is a very common name in the Bible. I don't recall others. There may be, but some of these names you just never know because there's a zillion of them, but Abishai is pretty uh, not very common. Do you really? He's the brother to Joab and Asahel. That's correct. Excellent. If your brother's David's nephew, then you are too. That's right. I take it that way as well. I assume that he was leading the army, as he often did. Other questions and comments? Actually, the victory over the Edomites there is various, variously attributed to Abishai, Joab, David, and the Lord, as I recall in various passages. So uh, it was a combination effort. 14 to 17. Recorder, Zadok the son of Ahithar, and Abimelech the son of Abiathar were priests. 
The Shab show was secretary, and then I was son of the boy that was over his paradise. The Pelotites and the sons of David were chiefs. All right, this is David's government. What characterizes uh, David's government? How was it? Justice and righteousness, which are such important concepts. The foundation of the Lord's, the Lord's own throne is justice and righteousness. That's what God wants. Nations are evaluated on the basis of their justice and righteousness. Jeremiah 22:15. Josiah did justice and righteousness, and it was well with him. That's how you decide if the government is good or not. Is it just and righteous? And in Jeremiah 23 and verse 5, when it talks about the coming of the righteous branch, Jesus, he will do justice and righteousness in the land, and so forth and so on. When David administers justice and righteousness. He is following the biblical ideal for good government. And then you see his cabinet. You see military leaders, religious leaders, administrative leaders uh, in, the, in the cabinet. Some of these guys may not mean a whole lot to us. Joab, obviously, is important. Uh, Zadok and uh, Abimelech were the priests. Benaiah was, as someone suggested, the head of the bodyguard, the secret service. And... Uh, so, this is just kind of summarizing David's administration. Do you have comments and questions about that? Okay. Chapter 19, uh, verses 1 to 5. So it came about after this that Nahash, king of the sons of Ammon, died. And his sons became king in his place. And his son became king in his place. Then David said, I will show kindness to Hanun, the son of Nahash because his father showed kindness to me. So David sent messengers to console him concerning his father. And David's servants came into the land of the sons of Ammon to Hanan to console him. But the princes of the sons of Ammon said to Hanan, Do you think that David is honoring your father in that he has sent comforters to you? Have not his servants come to you to search and to overthrow and to spy out the land? So Hanan took David's servants and shaved them and cut off their garments in the middle as far as their hips and sent them away. Then certain persons went and told David about the men, and he sent and he sent to meet them. For the men were greatly humiliated. And the king said, Stay in Jer- stay at Jericho until your beards grow, and then return. Okay. So uh, Nahash, the king of Ammon, dies, and Hanan, his son, becomes king. And what does David decide to do? Yeah, he sends uh, some... Uh, ambassadors, a delegation to, to comfort and console Hanan over the death of his father. Uh, I think a thoughtful thing, a sympathetic thing for David to do. Uh, and how does Hanan feel about this? Yeah, I thought this was uh, some you know, racket to try to spy on them. And Hanan evidently accepted the thought of these princes and humiliates these, the delegation that was sent up there just to try to comfort Hanan. You know, and he cuts off some of their clothes and shaves them, and, and they're humiliated. And, and uh, you know, I mean, this is really uh, kind of uh, an outrageous thing on his part. I mean, David wasn't doing anything bad. He was just trying to be sympathetic. And... You know, 
Hanan jumps to the conclusion that they've got some sort of ulterior motive. And uh, just really kind of tacky, you know, how he treats them here. Where were the uh, Ammonites, by the way? Where did they live? Yes, on the east side of Gilead, between Gilead and the desert. Um, all right, comments and questions on this, one through five. They're really stupid on his part. <laughs> Some people, you know, even if you try to treat them well, they're going to be suspicious. They're going to think, well, what are you up to? <laughs> you know. So it is humiliating. Well, I don't know that David necessarily had considered them that way. I think David probably acted in good faith, uh, you know, in this. Um, let me see. It's in Second uh, Samuel 10 as well. Um, I don't think there's anything more really about that there. I mean, I would consider this maybe even a fairly normal diplomatic gesture. It would be in our country. I mean, if if a you know if if the I don't know head of China died, you know we'd send Cheney and you know handful of senators over there to the state funeral or whatever. I mean we wouldn't have to be good friends with the nation to you know try to you know I don't know it's probably more political than sympathetic in those cases, but but uh, I don't know that it really seems all that strange. Um, I don't know. How has Nahaz shown kindness to David? I don't know. I don't know what Nahaz had done. <clears throat> I mean, they probably could have done a lot of things. Other questions are coming? That's an excellent question. I don't know. Saul reigned about 40 years. So I'm just sort of guessing that maybe Nahash may also be a throne name. You know, you could have that. I mean, a word like Nahash may be a word like Caesar. Or it could be, you know, there's been plenty of, you know, in Europe, you know, there was Louis this and Louis that and Louis something else and so forth and so on, so... Other comments? Six to, uh, I don't know, let's do six to nine. And the sons of Ammon saw that they had made themselves odious to David. Hanan, the son of Ammon, sent a, a thousand pounds of silver to hire themselves chariots and horses from Mesopotamia and from Aram Jacob and from Zobah. So they hired for themselves 32,000 chariots and the king of Macah and his people who came and camped before them at Rezeba. And the sons of Ammon gathered together from their cities and came to battle. When David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the armies and all the all, and all the armies, the mighty men. The sons of Ammon came out and drew up in battle but in battle array at the entrance of the city, and the kings who had come with come were by themselves in the field. Alright. The Ammonites realized they're in trouble. 
David is upset. So what do Hanan and company do? Yes, what do we call hired soldiers? Mercenaries. They hire Arame mercenary Aramean soldiers. Um, and pay good money for it, too. A thousand talents of silver. I suspect that indicates that Hanan is starting to feel a bit panicky. To cut loose of a thousand talents of silver sounds to me like a good bit. Uh, you know, to hire soldiers. But uh, they, I guess, are afraid of David's army. He might should have thought of that before he uh, humiliated the servants. And so we're, we're building up to, to go into battle. Now, notice something about the structure of this chapter. Verse 6, when the sons of Ammon saw. Verse 10, now when Joab saw. Verse 16, when the Arameans saw. Verse 19, so when the servants of Hadadezer saw. That kind of organizes the chapter uh, between what each party sees. All right, comments through, through 9? 10 to 15? When Joab saw that the battle was set against him before and behind, he chose of all the choice men of Israel and put them in array against the Syrians. The rest of the people he committed in the hand of Abishai, his brother, and they put themselves in array against the children of Ammon. And he said, If the Syrians be too strong for me, then you shall help. But if the children of Ammon be too strong for you, then I will help you. Be of good courage, and let us play the man for our people, and for the, and for the cities of our God, and Jehovah do which seemeth him good. So Joab and the people that were with him drew near, before the Syrians in the battle, and they fled before him. And the children of Ammon saw that the Syrians were fled. They likewise, they likewise fled before Abishai, his brother, and entered into the city. Then Joab came to Jerusalem. Okay. So, um, Joab realizes that they have a problem. Uh, they have... Um, Arameans to fight, the hired soldiers, as well as Ammonites to fight. And Joab has to devise a strategy. So what strategy does he devise? Precisely. Um, he takes part of the army... And fights against which part? The Arameans. He puts the rest of the army in charge of who? Abishai. Abishai, his brother, to fight against the Ammonites. And um, he says, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see if, if either side starts losing, we rally to, to help them. You know, so whichever side needs help, then we'll withdraw and, and help them. But they're going to have to fight a battle basically on two fronts. He says, be strong and be courageous for the sake of our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what is good in his sight. Now, I want you to notice something that I think is important about this concept. <clears throat> was this battle a battle God was going to fight or a battle that Joab and his army were going to fight?
<laughs> yes. Exactly. You see the working together of God and man in this. He says, be strong, let's be courageous, let's fight hard, and may the Lord do what is good in his sight. He recognizes that God is in control, but that there is a role that he and the soldiers are to play in fighting hard and courageously for the sake of the Lord. Think about passages like Philippians 2, 12 and 13. You know, we're to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling because it's God that's at work in us. Well, is our salvation something we do or something God does? Yes. You know, those things work together. And this is a perfect illustration of that. In the battle, what happened first? When? No, I don't think so. <laughs> Joab and his army just got close to him. They already hightailed it and ran. And uh, it appears that that uh, uh, pretty much uh, destroys the Ammonite morale, and they flee before Abishai. And so really this turned out not to be much of a battle at all. They were intimidated. Of course, the Lord had his hand in that, obviously. And uh, both of them are defeated. Comments and questions? Okay, uh, 16 to 19. So we got some Arameans from long ways away and brought them in. And what happens in the battle with David? Yeah, they're d devastated. And they decided they better make peace with David and serve him. <laughs> you know, it doesn't work to fight against him. And so they weren't willing to help Ammon anymore. And Ammon becomes basically isolated. Nobody there to help them. And they're, uh, you know, not able to withstand uh, Israel. Uh, really not able to withstand God when it's all said and done. Some comments and questions. Syrian and Arameans are the same thing. Yeah. Let me interject this before we go to chapter 20. I will say again what I said. You know, it's harder after you've eaten well to uh, concentrate. You're welcome to stand up or do anything that would be helpful to you uh, as we study. I may do that summer, sooner or later as I'm teaching. So, uh, and chapter 20, verses 1 to 3. It happens. 
Okay, so Joab goes out and besieges Rabbah while David stays behind in Jerusalem. You know anything about the time uh, there with David staying behind in Jerusalem? Yeah, that's where all that Bathsheba and Uriah business took place, but we don't learn about that in Chronicles. But uh, that's, that's the, uh, what's happened. And uh, when Joab strikes Rabbah, he brings David uh, there. David takes the crown and uh, takes the spoil and uh, forces uh, the Ammonites into hard labor. There's some debate about that in verse 3. But I think that may be the idea that he uses them to, uh, to wield various instruments uh, in, in his service. So, we've got the Ammonites defeated after all Aramean help was defeated. And that pretty well uh, finishes out chapter 19. Well, this is the bad chapter break. Chapter 20, verses 1 to 3 just completes what we started in 19. Comments and questions? I think it may well be that he is making them work for him. What have you got the NIV, uh, Kyle? Oh, do what? I think that's probably a better translation. I don't think it's that he started torturing them with those things. That is a big difference. That's a translational debate. But I think it's probably better that he made them work hard. Kind of hate to imagine him uh, using saws to cut him with. That'd be bad. Other comments and questions? Through 20, verse 3. All right, uh, 4 through 8. And it came to pass afterwards that there arose war at Ezer with the Philistines. Then Sibike, the Hushathite, slew Sipe of the sons of the giant. Of the sons of the giant, they were subdued. And there was again war with the Philistines, and Elhanan, the son of Jair, slew Lamin, the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, the staff of whose spear was like a beaver's king. And there was again a war at Gath. Where was a man of great stature, whose fingers and toes were four and twenty, six on each hand, six on each foot. He also was born unto the giants. And when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimei, David's brother, slew him. These were born unto the giant in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of the servant. All right, here are some uh, particular uh, accomplishments against the Philistines. Notice that this section in 18.1 began with David defeating the Philistines and Gath. Now we're completing this uh, by coming full circle and looking at some specific exploits against the Philistines and Gath. Notice something else. The main sections here all start the same way. 18.1, now after this it came about. 19.1, now it came about after this. And 20 verse 4, now it came about after this. That's kind of the divisions of this war section. Uh, but you've got Sibachai. 
who killed Sippai or whatever, uh, one of the giants, and they were subdued. And uh, then Elhanan uh, kills Goliath's brother, uh, who, who had a spear like a weaver's beam. I'm not exactly sure what a weaver's beam would be like. Anybody know anything about weaver's beams? Uh, wow. Pretty good sized uh, uh, spear head, I guess. Spear shaft. Uh, I'd I, I weave it. And uh, then, then, uh, <laughs> then there's this guy at gas. <laughs> he takes after his mother. But uh, then there's this guy at Gath. What was this guy at Gath's name? Yeah, he doesn't tell us that. What he does tell us is the thing that was probably more interesting than his name, and what's that? <laughs> yeah, he had an extra finger and toe on each hand and foot. Uh, so uh, he was uh, also a giant, and uh, uh, Jonathan, uh, David's brother, uh, killed him. And uh, so, you know, David's being able to conquer uh, these great giants and so forth of the Philistines. And that rounds out this section. And we're going to come back to this uh, in a couple of chapters and notice how this section of David's military conquests is a perfect setup for the building of the temple. There's a point to this. We just haven't gotten to it yet. Obviously, the point is God's giving the victories and he's controlling a lot of territory. But there's also a point to this in connection with this whole theme of working toward a place for the ark of God. Uh, but we're not quite there yet. We need, to look, we need to work on the place itself, and then we'll come to the reasons for it. So, any comments or questions on chapter 20 before we jump into 21? So did Goliath have six fingers on his hand? I don't know. <coughs> That's my <laughs> guess. That's what I was saying. All right, 21, 1 to 6. Now Satan stood up against, against Israel and moved David to number Israel. So David said to Joab and to the leaders of the people, Go, number, number Israel from Beersheba to Dan, and bring the number of them to me that I may know it. And Joab answered, May the Lord make the people a hundred times more than they are. But my Lord the King, are they not all my Lord's servants? Why then does my Lord require this thing? Why should he be a cause of the guilt in Israel? Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab. Therefore Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came to Jerusalem. Then Joab gave the sum of the number of the people to David. All Israel had one million and one hundred thousand men who drew the sword. And Judah had four hundred and seventy thousand uh, men who drew the sword. But he did not count the Levi and Benjamin among them. For the king's word was abominable to Joab. Okay, David um, is involved in something here he shouldn't have been involved with. What's he trying to do? 
Well, what's bad about that? Yeah, it seems that he is wanting perhaps to pride himself on the size of his nation or army, perhaps trusting in that as opposed to in God. He wants to, I want to know the number. I want to know how many people we got or perhaps how many soldiers we've got. That seems to be the point in verse 5. You know, what kind of an army can I count on? And it's sort of like, what difference does that make? Is it really important the size of David's army? No. Why isn't it important? Yeah. So the size of his army really is irrelevant. Um, does it make any difference how many nuclear weapons we've got? seems to me that uh, there is a lesson in this for all of us that sometimes we get to thinking so much in terms of you know, our own strength, that we forget that, bottom line, God's got all sorts of ways to defeat us. And if he wants to defeat us, he'll defeat us. I don't care if we've got the biggest and most well-equipped army in the world. And if he wants us to win, we can have the puniest army in the world. I mean, that's the lesson. But David, for whatever reason, is not trusting the Lord here. Now, who was it that encouraged David to, uh, to number the people? Satan. But did you read the parallel in Second Samuel 21? No, 24, rather. In 2 Samuel 24, 1, now again the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and it incited David against them to say, go number Israel and Judah. So that's one of the more famous contradictions in the Bible. Samuel said God caused him to do it, and Chronicles says Satan caused him to do it. How do you reconcile those? Uh-huh, James 1. So that means Satan's right and God's not, eh? I think that's right. I think that's exactly right. God and Satan operate in the same event. God for one motive, Satan for another. Similar to the thorn in the flesh of Paul who was a messenger of Satan that God used to keep him from exalting himself. Not particularly unusual that God uses what Satan does for his purpose. And uh, in this case, uh, he did. And Joab was not really keen on the numbering, but Joab, David's the king, so he does, and he finds uh, you know, 1,100,000 men of Israel and 470,000 men of Judah, and... Uh, and that's, that's the result of the numbering, but we're going to see that that's not the end of the story because God was not happy with David's reliance on the number of men in the army. Comments and questions? Well, in Second Samuel, you know, the idea was that God was upset with David and wanted an opportunity to punish him. Well, I assume that God had other reasons to be angry with David. And, uh, well, maybe sometimes when God's angry with us, He wants us to do. He, he'll He'll work to get us to do something even more outrageous, so He can punish us more. Well, maybe it does. What about Pharaoh? 
Why did God work to where he could punish Pharaoh more? He wanted to make a lesson out of that. He wanted to glorify himself through Pharaoh's hardness. Sometimes that's what our stubbornness deserves, is more punishment. And so God just lets Satan go ahead and tempt him. God, God I think, was, was looking for an occasion perhaps to punish David even more severely. I don't know why. I don't know what David had done. Well, I'm not sure we ought to see it as so much God's control over Satan as God using Satan for his purpose. I think Satan is an unwitting instrument at times of God. That God is so, he outwits Satan. I mean, you know, and, and so he causes everything Satan does to backfire and contribute to his own purposes. At least I think that's an angle on that. Good point. 